I had to finish my bathroom, do the garage. I had to get the, I still haven't gotten the Christmas lights off the house yet. And I've done like nothing. And it's, so just you know, un it's unplug fun. the lights and they'll be ready for next year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You have to get ones that change color for each holiday where you can just make them orange for Halloween and <laughs> green for St. Patrick's Day. Welcome to yeah. the Sports Plus Show with Baker, B Big D, and Joe. I'm Joe out here in snowy Portland. Guys, snow in Portland. Uh, nice. Actually, we get an inch, then it melts by two in the afternoon, then we get another inch and it melts again. But it's been cold and crappy here, so... Hope it's been better out there. What's the well what's the, better out here is um, uh, like North Florida is um, 50 degrees and no snow and the ground's not frozen. Uh, it's pretty unusual. Yeah. I've never said this on December 31st, but I'd rather be in Massachusetts than in Oregon. It's sad. It's, it's been a cruddy, cruddy kind of week. It's been very like wet and, and not like rainy, but, I mean, I could even, we, we haven't had a sunny, cold day either. It's been kind of no, wet. When you, I walked on a, a trail that's a good walking trail, you know, very popular one in Amherst. And it was so muddy. I had to stop. Yeah. Well, it was like we'll springtime. We'll get our next sunny, cold day in March, probably. It's going to be great, crappy <laughs> till then. But um, so a big week. I mean, I guess, I guess we should probably start with John Madden, right? I mean, he's, yeah. he was the big story of the week and, you know, I still have the book. I, his, you know, his first book he wrote, Hey, wait a minute. I wrote a book came out in whatever, 1985. I still have the paperback in my living room. So was that after he, his coaching? It was career? right after his coaching days ended, but it was mostly about his coaching time. Like he hadn't really built himself up as a broadcaster yet. I think he'd been doing it for a year or two, but just like, it was such an honest sports book in an era where most of them were kind of, you know, candy coated and, and not really revealing. And it was just, he was just so different from anyone who had coached before. And, and then we, you know, we had this kind of second life as a broadcaster and it was just, I think, and again, like Matt, you're, you don't remember him as, as a coach at all, right? Just as a no. broadcaster. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's it's amazing and I was I'm curious if you can think of any other sports figure who has been able to transcend so many different generations in so many different ways. I know nothing of him as a coach other than the fact I love sports. I love football, so the history of it. I'm aware he was he was coached for the He Raiders. won a Super Bowl I'm when aware. he was in the yeah. 30s. He, he was in he was in a bunch of uh you know AFC championship games I yeah, believe. Yeah, I mean even more than won one Super Bowl. They were the best team in the AFC yeah. for a yes. decade. Yeah, no, and and so I'm aware of his coaching resume. For me, he uh, he is the still the gold standard of sports broadcasting. I loved his Absolutely. silly ball as a kid. This is my memory. Yeah. The silly yeah. goofball, telestrator, drawing, scribbling all over it. The boom, pow, ooh, ah, you know, all that. And then he does have the video games, which, yeah, you know, were a part of my middle school, high school ages. You know, when, when my brother and I, we would play Madden. I actually, I sent him a funny picture. So Devontae Smith, last weekend, wide receiver for the, the Eagles, He's smaller than me. He's, what is he, like 170 pounds, six foot, you know, talented, but very small, skinny. 
uh, there was a goal line package where he lined up in a three point stance as tight end. And they took a picture of him next to his like six, five, <laughs> three seventy tackle. And I took, and I screenshotted it and I sent it to my brother. And this is like, look, it looked Devonte Smith is playing off offensive line for Madden 98. You know, when, <laughs> when video games, every, everyone was the same size, you could do a spin move or a sprint burst. That was about it, you know, but it, it there's, I can't think of any other sports figure who, if you talk to people older than me, he's a hall of fame coach. If you talk to people my age, he's a hall of fame broadcaster. If you talk to people younger than me, Madden is nothing more than like the video game, but Madden is huge. Madden has opened the door for e-gaming and, and yeah. sports betting and, and money. Yeah. And, and I mean, that's all huge stuff. So it, remember, the go- remember the golden days two years ago when betting wasn't a big deal, you know, <laughs> I, I, I think Michael Jordan has that, but it's it has that span across generations, but it's all for what he did as a player. It's not for right. anything right. else he did. And I think you're absolutely right, Matt. I, I can't think of anyone else. And I think I, I'm lucky enough too to have kind of been there for all three of those things. Like I'm, Same here, I'm yeah. old enough to have remembered, but Daryl, did you play the video games? Never. Yeah. See, never. that's, I mean, we I've were, never played I was, a video game in my life and I'm not about to. You know, I was it's like, <laughs> I'm so happy. Wait, 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 to... wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You've never played a video game well, in your do life. You count, do you count Pac-Man on Atari? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I played it for like five minutes and didn't like it. That was it. That's wait like, a minute. That's wow, like that's I never actually... smoked cigarettes except for the one pack of cigarettes given to me for my birthday in 1967 at Duke because that was like there was nothing bad about smoking had come out yet. And we were where the cigarettes were made. And uh, this woman gave me a pack of um, Balkan Sobranis, these beautiful Russian cigarettes. Guys, we've had some pretty interesting revelatory moments on this show, but that those two things are the most, that is the most shocking thing I've ever, that's, I mean, there's the purity of that. I am proud of it. So when you go visit the grandkids, they're they're not playing like Super Mario Kart or any of that stuff? So they're too young. Oh, okay. And they like screens. And and so we have, but honest to God, I like, um, uh, what's the, Paw Patrol, I like that. I, you know, uh, Bluey's fine. I, you know, I, oh, I, I love Bluey. I, I love their shows. They're fine. The shows are fine. Oh yeah. man, I see uh, video games for me. I always just wanted to play the sports games because you could like run a franchise, and that was the the fascinating thing about Madden. It was the, it was the first game where you actually had the real players, and you could trade the players, and you know, design your own uniforms, and just watching that game evolve. I was, you know. In college, I think, you know, we, we were playing Tecmo Bowl freshman year of college, but yes. John Madden pretty soon after that. But it was the first time that you could play GM. So I think for now it's multiple generations. You know, that game has been around now for 30 years. Okay, but let me yeah. ask you both a question. Do you like computers? Yeah. I mean, I live on them, I so I guess, yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't. So I, I have no interest I in this. I don't. I, I'm not. I'm. Look, I understand that they're a essential tool. I'm lucky enough. My dad taught computers when computers were like the size of rooms. You know, he taught yeah. data entry on punch cards. So from the time there were PCs, we had. 
PCs in the house. And the, the first thing I ever did for money actually was there was this thing called computer shopper. It was this magazine. It was all ads for computer parts. So I would scour the thing and order the cheapest motherboards and the cheapest power supplies and the cheapest this and put them together. And I sold a half dozen computers. And you know, so like I've always, since there have been home computers, I've been deep into, I worked in it for 10 years. So you're asking the wrong guy. It's like asking a doctor if he likes anatomy, like it doesn't matter if I like it or not. It's, it's just, just it's so ingrained into what i do and everything i do professionally happens through a computer so yeah ask if it had been for covid i would have never spent as much time as i've been forced to the last few years on computers i like being outside i like talking to people i just and and what i see in modern society is this um walking around with your head down and less and less um, engagement um, with other people. So I would say like in my building, when Matt was there, Matt was pretty much the only person that ever asked me questions. Now, nobody ever asks me questions. They don't want to know, you know, they they don't want to plumb my wisdom. They don't, you know, they just, (laughs) they have no, uh, it's, it's uh, lonely to be honest. So, um, and I, I consider computers lonely too. So, you know, I want to be outside. I want to see the trees budding. I want to plant stuff and watch them sprout out. I want to tap. I'm going to be making maple syrup, not this February, but the following February. Well, you know? and I think that's totally a generational thing, because if you ask a 17 year old, they make that's how they connect with other people is through their computer. And they don't look at, you know, my my niece and nephew don't look at their digital friendships as anything less than their in-person friendships. And I think, so this would be an interesting generational comparison, Matt, because I still regard as many digital friends as I have, I still sort of keep them, they're in a separate, most of them are in a separate bucket than my friends that I made in real life. Even people that I've met in real life two or three times where most of our relationship is on Facebook, like that, that seems different to me. For you, is it like, do you have a lot of do you have a, a good number of friends that you've only met online that you haven't met in, in real I life? I don't have any friends that I've only met online. Um, there's not one. I mean, all, all I guess I, you could say all of my online friends are all people I know in person of all people I went to school with. Wow. Uh, yeah, I haven't met anybody on the computer. I mean, I... I <laughs> I understand where Daryl's coming from. I think, uh, you know, you're a dying breed. I think it is. Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, I, and I don't mean this to be disrespectful towards anybody. No, no, no. In, in um, my family, they would say I the think, same thing. I think, too, and I think this could be dangerous, is people who create friendships or re- let's call them relationships online, I feel like they're kind of empty in a way that you've you've been introduced to somebody through a filter and you've only seen what that person wants you to see how they want you to see it i think that could just be a little dangerous i don't think that's any different from a real life friendship i think there are plenty of people who are manipulative enough to do that to your face and you're right it's easier to do online but i mean that doesn't I yeah. mean, that doesn't diminish the genuineness of no, all the friendships that I've made online. And I'll tell you what, the first, the first, and this is to tell you how old I am, this was on AOL 
AOL groups, whatever they were called at the time. Chat rooms? I guess they were chat rooms, yeah. I got diagnosed with a thyroid disease when I was 20-something years old, 25 years old. And that was instantly to, like to be able to go online and talk to a bunch of people who were having the same issue. And you're right, Matt, there's lots of crappy online communities. There's lots of toxic online interaction. But there also are a lot of, you know, and if you're selective about it, you can keep yourself in the healthier arenas. You know, like there are a lot of people helping other people and just like, you know, basic, simple community support things or, I mean, there's there's a zillion of them. I've made a lot of friends through a local fan group for a podcast that none of us listen to anymore because the hosts have kind of made themselves objectionable. But, you know, we sort of bonded over this one podcast. And now I would say 25% of the friends that I've made in person in Portland have come through this group. And it's funny because I'm, you know, 13, 14 years older than you, but I seem to have a younger experience with online communities and social media than you have, because yeah. I would no, say- I, I'm kind of like an old soul, I guess, in a, in a way. Yeah. My, now, Jill has made a lot of good, strong friendships through her online communities and through her beach body stuff and through her health and fitness stuff. So she's a lot, it's just that it's me. I, I just, I, I'm not- <laughs> Well, and you have to be selective about what you engage in because it yeah. can very easily get frustrating. I find myself all the time realizing that I'm staring at Twitter and I'm just getting angrier and angrier and angrier. I'm like, why? But just put it down. Just put it down. That's all you have to do. And I, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm obviously of the three of us, I'm the worst, you know, digital sufferer, but. Now you're making me feel young, which is kind of nice for a change. So, <laughs> uh, well, hey, rest in peace, John Madden. Well, you know the thing that was so amazing was for him to have three careers in a lifetime. Yeah. And I've worked, you know, I've been in medical school, I've worked in hotels and restaurants and run them, and now I'm a teacher. I've had like three careers, not not in the level he has, but um, you know, of, of public acceptance, but um. It's pretty remarkable and it's cool. And and each one's different and each one was done really, really well. Yeah, to, to be that good at all three. And again, that he was, man, his, his Raiders teams were so dominant. And that was it was harder to be dominant back then. There were just fewer teams and and the, yeah. the, the talent pool seemed deeper. So and and yeah, he was you can't compare he and Summerall. Whoever is second in NFL history to those two is such a distant second. It's not, it's not even, there's no one else even in the, in the discussion. I don't think. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, there's that Brett, Brett Mushberger, you know, Yeah, but no one, yeah. no one ever thinks Brett Musburger is a great broadcaster. The only, no. the only ones I would compare were the guys who did the NFL radio broadcasts, Jack Buck and Hank Stram. Daryl, do you remember their radio? Like the just the best radio calls ever, and they were they were on every week at the you know the the most prominent game of the week. And back then, you could listen to anything on the radio. You could listen to any game you wanted to on the radio. And man, I, every week I would find find the game they were doing and listen to it. They were just great. But we also got spoiled for broadcasters in New York. You know, for baseball broadcasters, we always oh. had. 
Oh, Mel, give Mel, me a break. Mel Allen. The worst, the worst announcer ever for the Yankees. Oh, Sterling? Oh. No, no, no. Go, I'm, you got to go back further. Uh, Sterling okay, yeah, and Rizzuto Susan Wallman. was good. Yeah, Sterling and Susan Wallman are awful. But but yeah. Bill White and Phil Rizzuto and, yeah. and Mel Allen. and Yeah, even, Mel Allen. Even later on, you're like, Jim Cott was there. David Cohn's been really good. Like, the, the other, their other broadcasters yeah. are great. Yeah. Sterling and Wallman are terrible. Yeah. Michael Kay. Michael Kay is great. I like Michael Kay. I like Paul O'Neill. Um, like I, I like David Combe. I agree. I, I'm not a fan of Sterling and, and Susan Waldman. Never. I, I was surprised that O'Neill turned out to be good because he always seemed so wooden as a player. Like he always seemed. Kind <laughs> but of boy, so you know, he was like one of the most important Yankee players on that team. Yeah. Well, you know, he been, really was. You've been and he wasn't like an all star or anything, but he was a great fielder and a clutch hitter. You've had great broadcasters in Boston too, Daryl. Oh yeah, we sure have, including Johnny Most. I mean, he's a, he's obnoxious as all get out. So I was in hotels when he was at the end of his career and I was a front desk manager and he came and stayed in Northampton. And um, he asked me to get him um, two packs of camels, you know, gave me a $20 bill and I got him for him and told me to keep the change, you know, but he was, his calls against the, um, Brutal Pistons with um, Lambeer and Mahorn. Oh, my God. That team was like, I mean, the the lens that I saw it through, the Johnny Most lens, those those teams were axe murderers. You know, they just, they hid their, they hid their axes, you know, when the ref blew the whistle. But, you know, they were, he called them stuff like McNasty. And, you know, um, Tommy Heinsohn has been broadcasting for 50 years. And he's, he used to drive me nuts, but he's kind of tempered his, home boosterism yeah he well it's funny because he's he's the traditional homer i most of the great you know new york broadcasters are pretty neutral so i'm used to a, a an objective view of the game and i guess i've also spent a lot of time watching national broadcasts but try to watch the damn blazer broadcasts with Kevin Calabrio and Lamar Hurd, who are just basically friggin' cheerleaders for the team. I actually got to the point where I have to turn the audio down to a point where I can barely hear it because it, it colors like I'm trying to write what I see in the game mm. and it's colored by what they're, by the words that are coming out of these guys' mouths and it's not just the announcing too it's the cut of the highlights so like you get a whistle for uh, to stop playing you get time to run a replay instead of showing the most compelling play like the close call that could have been a foul either way or the dive out of bounds they show you the last good blazers play so if they made a three pointer four you know four possessions back they'll show that instead of the thing that you want to see which is you know, who's it all out of bounds off of, or who's the foul on. And it just, it, it can't be the only, I'm sure that's the standard for, you know, it's root sports. Now it always be NBC sports for all the, you know, there used to be sports channel, like whatever, whoever owns it this year that runs all these team broadcasts. I'm sure it's the same everywhere. Right. Like, do you, do you get that when you watch the Celtics? Oh Yeah. I mean, Heinsohn's still there. Yeah, I think all broadcasts, they're so regionalized and they're so... Yeah. I don't um, want to see that. I don't want to hear that. I yeah. want to hear broadcasters that are going to tell me what's actually happening, not right. 
painted. Yeah, the one good thing about Heinsohn, the, the main guy, I can't even think of his name right now. He doesn't have any personal stories, and he laughs at all of Heinsohn's stories. But what Heinsohn did do well was he knew basketball. So, like, for years, he would be yelling at the um, at the Celtics to push the ball up, move it, move it, you know, because they would – and just like what they're doing this year, they just stand around. I still feel like as, as much as I hate Sterling and Waldman – they're at least appropriately critical of the Yankees when they need to be still. Right. I would agree. I mean, I haven't listened to them. I haven't listened to them in a really long time because I try to avoid it. And I do, you know, I haven't really been consuming much baseball lately, but you know, there, I, I get the sense that at least you know Michael K too. Like he's has no problem being critical of the team. And I think that's, that's part of what makes a good broadcaster yeah. is that you're actually representing what's happening. And it's not again, you know, journalistic standards are taking a a second fiddle to to mark to the market and i'm sure that what they've discovered is that more people locally will watch the games if the broadcasters are cheering for the team along with you and the thing that bugs me most of all is the and daryl you tell me if they do this with the celtics too they refer to all the opponents by their last name and then all the home team players have like, I haven't noticed that. I'll have to listen. They use these nicknames that, you know, no one uses in real life. And they have this like fake familiarity with the players. Yeah. It's just, a, it's just awful. I don't know. I was, I've had to watch a lot of root sports blazers games <laughs> this year. So I just, I um, guess I'm venting that out, but, um, but anyway, here's some good news for the giants and jets. Oh God. You there guys have, Three picks in the top eight draft next year. Uh, well, we'll see where they fall with two the Jets. Two for the Giants, like, one for the Jets. Well, the Jets are going to get two because they own. Right, but I was just going through the top eight picks, and no, those will all be great players. Well, I I well, just want I just want Thibodeau. I just want Kayvon Thibodeau. You can have whoever else you want from the top eight. That's the only player I want. Yeah. No, he's I, th- look. I, there is nothing good coming out of the Giants. Uh, you know, so. <laughs> is judge going to last another year? I think he is. I think he will. Um, they got rid of Gettleman, right? Not yet. Not officially. Yeah. It he looks will. like it's happening though. It looks like Matt's getting his wish there. Yeah. So that should make you happy. Matt. Yeah, no, it, it will. You know, my brother and I, we've been now in, in, we look back in hindsight and, and the team, like how it was built with, appears to be zero vision zero this is what we want these guys to look like it was it seems like it was drafted and with free agency it was just like oh this guy's good let's throw him here this guy's good let's throw him here where contrary to like what a bill belichick does where he has a vision of each role and each position a player is supposed to do and he gets players in there to do that role he has a vision of what you know his I guess like if you were to uh, view constructing a roster like a machine and if, you know, we're a Rube Goldberg machine kind of thing, right. Where one thing leads to another and, and all the parts equal the sum of it. The giants just have none of that. I can't speak to any other teams because I haven't looked at their roster. Like I do the giants, but you know, even go back to when you drafted Saquon Barkley. All right. If you're going to invest a top two pick on a running back, you better have a good offensive line. So yeah, we can do it no game. kidding. And the only offensive lineman that they've drafted in the first round since drafting Barkley was 
Andrew Thomas, who was at best the third-ranked offensive tackle that year. Now they had they they missed on other guys too, and I know it's a crapshoot, right? But you go Will Hernandez early in the second round. If you it just you know there doesn't seem to be a big picture. It was oh Saquon Barkley, he's really good. We got to draft him. It's they just, really should they really should have traded Barkley about two years ago. I think when they realized where they were going as a team, they you know they they seemed to want to try and somehow ride him into the playoffs. And he was, I mean, he's a great look. He's a great player, but he's a running back can't elevate your team the way he used to. I just, I just love, I just love this Amy Trask response to uh, Judge went off. He gave this this long rambling, I guess sixteen hundred word answer to a question. A press conference question, and he he said he's not interested in shortcuts and quick fixes. He's been there thirty games, like what's that's two full seasons. Quick fixes, no. You're you're he's there's no reason to keep this guy because he's nothing. What's he get? Is he going to go twelve and five next year, really, and save his job? No, he's, they're going to be terrible again. They're Is Daniel win. Jones going to be the quarterback next year? I, next year, I guess, sure. Honestly, I think it's 50-50. I don't think the Giants... They could draft a quarterback at six or eight. They better not. They better not. If they if they have... They're going to have two top 10 picks. If they take one of those two picks to draft a quarterback, Daniel Jones better be off their roster because that is just asinine. That is stupid. Well, and what are you going to get for Daniel Jones? A fifth Nothing. rounder so or a seventh rounder? Yeah. The only thing... I think Daniel Jones is a quarterback for the Giants next year, unless they're able to trade for Russell Wilson. Um, I really think he's probably the top. I don't think like, I don't like Deshaun Watson, but he's probably going to be out of Houston. He's going to be looking to be traded. I don't think he comes to New York. I think that's a bad move. Aaron Rodgers. Is Deshaun going to play next year, do you think? Or is he... Who knows? I mean, that's another one. Who know? I mean, I think he'll probably yeah. he'll probably he'll be on a roster, and my guess would be he's suspended for the first half of the season. I mean, I, are we even going to have a, a judicial outcome? You know, it seems like that's kind of gone stale too. Yeah. I guess yeah. I guess they're waiting for the end of the season. Well, why would they wait for the end of the season if he's not playing? I don't know. I'll have to look into that and see why it's why it's been delayed so much. But there really hasn't been any movement on that in a while. I think, well, from a legal standpoint, I'm not sure. From a football standpoint, I, he's refusing to play. He doesn't want to play. He's kind of refusing to play for the Texans. He's not suspended. Um, I don't think. Isn't the, is the, is the, the team tell him to stay home? I think. I, I think, think they did. They, they didn't want the adverse publicity. But no, he, but I think. But, but I think the team told him to stay home before he. Yeah, yeah I, th- I think the, the directive came from the team. I don't think it was him saying, I'm not going to play. Because if that, if that was the case, then they wouldn't have to pay him. And they're paying him. They are paying him. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so then maybe it was I, – I mean, I know he wants to be he – he's always wanted to be traded, and he said he didn't want to play uh, for the team. And, and so maybe it was kind of a mutual league team person thing where it's like, look, stay home. We won't suspend you and just I, – I don't know. Well, but, I don't no. know if the league. I, I I think the league would respond differently if he try, was trying to play. I agree. I think I the agree. league would step in and suspend him indefinitely if he said, "I would you, like you to mean, play." You mean two games? No, I think they would say. <laughs> I, I mean, at, at this point, two games. I'm just is, referring to the famous two game yeah, knocking your wife out of the elevator. But I mean, at this point, two games is the season. So, 
Yeah. No, I, I do think the league. So Daniel Jones, I, I don't, I think he is the quarterback next year for the giants. 50, 50. Um, I mean, I, I can see, I can see them trying to grab somebody in the fourth round just to have, have somebody there putting pressure on who's, who's their backup. Joe Pasarczyk. That's another thing. Like talk about, look, I, to be fair, I was all over the Jets. Matt, Matt for, missed my Joe Pasarczyk reference. Damn it. Ah, oh, sorry. I, you got me fired up. Actually, got I got a Joe Pasarczyk story. So, my well, my dad was a my dad was a college was a Division three football just, coach. Just a curiosity, who was Joe Pasarczyk? Joe Joe Pasarczyk was was the backup quarterback for the Giants in the late seventies, early eighties. When you they mean were, YA Tittle time. No, after <laughs> after Tittle, I don't know who the starter was at that point, but uh, he actually started for a little while. But they were ter- those Giants teams were terrible. So my dad, they're they, all we saw in New England. That was dad, all we saw was the Giants. My dad coached Division three football in North Jersey, and they played one game a year. They played Seton Hall at Giant Stadium. So wow. we were outside the stadium when they went there to practice, and the Giant players were standing there just waiting for the bus. And again, this was like. 1979 i was eight years old and you know there wasn't any security they were like in uniforms after practice just standing outside the little outdoor practice field and larry zonka was playing for the for the giants at that point and so my dad gave me a pad and a piece of paper and told me to go up to number 39 and get his autograph and i thought he said go up to number nine and get his autograph so he sent me for Larry Zonka, and I came back with Joe Pasarczyk. So. <laughs> uh, anyway, so um, we can so, have one, yeah. there's one, uh, there's one quick sad Jet story I want to tell. Uh, poor, unfortunate uh, server at a diner um, in North Jersey ended up waiting on Zach Wilson uh, last Saturday, and turned out she's a huge Jet fan. She was thrilled that he was there for some reason. I don't know. She thinks Zach Wilson's the future, I guess. But uh, in his gratitude, he gave her two tickets to the uh, Jets-Jacksonville game. Fun. The woman already works hard enough. He has to punish her by giving her two tickets to that terrible, terrible game. And I just, Jet fans, Jet fans really are a precious bunch. Because they are, well, you're loyal to, and well, they're, they're, you know, you're loyal two, to a team that hasn't won since Namath. Well, half of us are. Half of us are like my friend Angel, who doesn't matter what they do, how bad they are. Next week they're going to turn it around, and the next draft pick is the one that. And then there's the other half of us, like me and my friend Dom, who understand that this team is the worst, probably the worst run franchise in the NFL and getting worse and we'll see if solid can turn things around i sort of like what he's doing kind of the opposite of what you said about about judge matt i feel like he does have a plan they do have a direction yeah they have a system and you know so we'll see but again i'm i'm of the pessimistic half that is going to tell you that this team is going to suck forever no matter what they do or who they hire i i think to go back to the giants like and and what I was saying is I was critical of the Jets for not having a veteran backup, right, for Zach Wilson. I thought that was poor vision with, yeah. with their roster construction. But then you look at the Giants, and it's like, oh, Mike Glennon was the guy who was backing up Daniel Jones. And 
a guy like Mike Glennon isn't pushing Daniel Jones. And now Daniel Jones is out with his neck injury, which actually that could, I mean, it's possible Daniel Jones has to retire this offseason. His neck is pretty banged up. Oh, wow. Um, and so he's already, he's done for the year. Um, I, I'm always cautious when it's like, oh, he starts off week to week. And then it's like, nope, he's out. And then he's out the following week. And then it's like, well, we're going to shut him down. I'm always cautious about that. So that's a possibility too. But if, if Daniel Jones is there, they have to bring in some Ryan Fitzpatrick type of veteran who you would have confidence in saying, Daniel Jones, if you stink, you're out. It can't be a Mike Glennon type of just a backup guy. It would have to be somebody who's... Is, is, there, is there anybody out there that's going to be available between, you know, the Mike Glennons and the Russell Wilsons? Like, is there a backup? Is there's, there... there's bound to be. There, there has to be. I mean, I could scour through. I mean, I'm just thinking, like, let's just, Nick Foles. Um, n- nobody that you would be like, oh, he's the future. He's going to save our franchise. But I'm saying, if, look, if, if Daniel Jones goes five games and he stinks again in year three you're four. You're like, all right, dude, you're done. I'm bringing in a Nick Foles. I'm bringing in a Ryan Fitzpatrick. I'm bringing in a um, Cam Newton. Sure. Like, you know, no, but you know what I'm saying? Where somebody who, but actually, you know, just on that Cam Newton thing, Belichick signing Cam Newton in the off season was really huge because he would have never got the two tight ends, and the two receivers, if they didn't have a, you know, name quarterback. You know, yeah, Newton, I, no, seriously, is it enough of a name to sign whoever he wants? Yeah, I don't No, not two tight ends. You wouldn't have got both of those tight ends. If they didn't know that they were going to have somebody who was going to throw to them. Yeah, but I, I'm going to, I disagree with that because Cam Newton couldn't throw the ball last year. So, I, yeah, but he I, had I respect. He had respect of players. Yeah, oh, but no, I, no again, I think that. I think Bill Belichick brings enough of that to get. To, I, so, think, I mean, I, it's an interesting point. I, like you have to wonder, you know, if that made a difference for either of those it, guys. You'd it have, did. It did. It made you'd a big have, difference. You'd have to ask those guys. You'd have and to. I, I heard him say that. That was part of it. Was oh it, really? Yeah. So then, interesting. Are they are they unhappy now that? Like, no, I, I, no. I, I, I don't know. Okay. I mean, if, they're right. only, they're only unhappy because they're not being used very well. You know, the uh, execution by the Patriots has left a little bit to be desired. Isn't but it Jones, funny how fast they're, they're 10 and six, aren't they? No, they're nine, nine and, and six. six or whatever. And they, they had a damaging, damaging loss to Buffalo in which they just two weeks. Isn't it yeah. funny though? So our last show, we took last week off because it was Christmas our last show, the Patriots were the number one seed, right? Or like in the AFC or something. Now like they're that. six, and and it's like, oh no, these this team they're winning the Super Bowl. It's going to be Brady versus Belichick in the Super Bowl. Two weeks later, they lose two games, and it's like, oh, can they win a playoff game? It's, you know, it's still Mike, guys. The AFC is not the NFC. NFC is a little more top heavy. The AFC is pretty well balanced from from one to seven or eight at this point. No, they've got I like I think it's through fourteen. There's 
like 14 teams that have a chance of making the playoffs. Right yeah, now. but the 14th team is not going to win the Super Bowl. I think the Patriots no. still. I think the Patriots to, aren't winning the Super Bowl. Either, I think the Patriots yeah. can. I think the Patriots can get to the Super Bowl. I think the NFC team is going to win the Super Bowl. I think the NFC is far has yeah. four teams that are better than anyone in the AFC. Yeah. So I think I, the Patriots can get to the Super Bowl. Yes. I mean, so any team who's in the playoffs. Yes, they can make the Super Bowl. I just, I don't think it's very probable. I mean, I, I do still believe, I said this a few weeks ago, I thought Buffalo would win the division, but I thought the Patriots had a better shot of going further in the playoffs because they had a legitimate run game. Right. And in the playoffs, you need a run game. But that being said, the, the last four, since the, the Patriots' first game against Buffalo, where and, and we praise Belichick, genius, three passes all game. But then they've had some bumps in the road. And I think it's highlighted the fact that yet, not yet, Mac Jones is not going to win a game for you. They're not a team that can come and, from behind. And they Once don't they have behind, the trust. They're in trouble. In a Mac Jones necessarily yet. <laughs> I've, I, I'm going to mark this and play it back for you guys when we're in week four of the playoffs and they're steamrolling their way into the Super Bowl. They could. Just, I, they could. Love, I love me. the last time you underestimated the Patriots, they were like four and seven or whatever they were, three and five, and then they went on a nice little tear. So good. Whoa. Keep it coming. Keep it coming. No, I, can't I, believe, I, I, I can't believe I've become a Patriot fan. When did I start rooting for the Bill Belichick? What's wrong with me? No, mark, mark it. This is what I'm saying. I would love it if the Patriots made the um, Super Bowl, but they they're they're much improved over last year. But they're not a they're not a a Kansas City. But and Joe, you understand this? Like a, a coach, it's nothing to against Bill Belichick. A coach can put together the game plan that is brilliant. The players have to execute it. Mac Jones is still just a rookie and the, yeah. there's now blueprint on how you can slow this team down. And so I, I can, the Patriots, they have a great defense. If there's any coach that's going to be able to break through that blueprint, it's Bill Belichick. And that's where True. I give, that's where True. I give, that's where I give him weight that I would give no other coach in the league. So I would, if any other coach in the league had control of that team, I wouldn't expect the same things from them, but I've seen it, you know, 20 freaking years. Yeah, no, you're right. But the, um, the unknowns COVID, you know, it's just yeah, like yeah. taking out key players and, it's just a, it's just a mess, and it's yeah. messing it's, hockey and basketball. Look what it's doing to basketball. The Blazers have eight players and their head coach that are out. They've got five players that are on ten day contracts. They put this team out there where three of the the top eight rotation guys weren't with the team yesterday. It's like watching playground basketball, like pickup basketball. These guys have been playing together for fifteen minutes. It's really interesting what it's done to the middle of the season. It's kind of cool. I sort of like the disruption. Yeah, but all right. So I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say it right. All this. So why not let Kyrie play? What's they the are. difference? They are. They're gonna let him play. No, but only in away games. Like, wouldn't yeah. you rather? Yeah. Well, that's I his choice. It. That's his choice. Who was it? Bradley Beal just got vaccinated because he didn't want to be. The Kyrie Irving, he didn't. No, man, I, 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 I'm embracing the chaos, man. I yeah. love that they're bringing up yeah. these guys from the D League and from Europe to play. It's cool. So they're letting them play half the game. So you got what you want. 
no, no, no. But but all right. So now we're we're saying two different things. Don't you want to see your team at full strength? And and I know that the NBA season is early, but in the NFL, like I don't want a backup quarterback winning a suit. Like I want to see teams at their best come playoff time. And the, don't you want to see the best? Why would you want to see turnovers all over the place? I get that. But Are they again, vaccinated? No, but we're two different things. We'll get yeah, to that. No. But, no, 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 no. People are going to get sick who are vaccinated. That's what happened That's to them. But, but not the whole Blazers. For a week. The They'll whole be Blazers playing the next is, game. No, the whole Blazers team. You're out ten days when you get. You no, get, now it's five. Not anymore. No, well, no. That's another. Now it's That's the CDC kind of thing. It's not the NBA thing. The NBA. Yeah, no, thing, it's the NBA thing now too. Five days now. Well, yeah. good. Then they'll get some players back. But I just, I, I again, man, I understand what you're saying. You want to see the the everything happen at the highest level. But man, I love this. It's I love the chaos. It sucks that I am watching this game that they have no chance of winning. They're playing the Jazz the other night, who have you know. Oh my God, the, the top Jazz are players. But you know, it's cool to see these guys out there kind of auditioning for a job in the NBA. It's sort of. And again, Matt, I don't know if you'll remember this, but the 82 NFL strike. No, you weren't born yet. No. Right. When the scabs played a couple oh, of games God, in the awful. middle of the season, they had literally were, had like bartenders had open tryouts for NFL games for two, two or three games in the middle of the season that these guys played. And it was delightful chaos, man. It was sloppy and ugly and funny and it was it was a big stain for the league in a way that this hasn't been for the nba because it's not a labor dispute it's a you know it's them reacting properly to a pandemic but i i love it man i really i again i i'm embracing the chaos hey, so to you have to but bring up something slightly different at least just throw it up what about the olympics coming up when it's I it's the summer Olympics months, being done right? in China or is it the winter Olympics? I don't even know what it is. Winter yeah, Olympics, I, it, I, I think it's going to be a mess. I think it's going to be a disaster. I mean, I think we shouldn't hold Olympics in China. I think that's the, no, we should not. And we should, as a country should have enough guts to not send our athletes as much as it's such a disappointment to the athlete. Well, and I think one, I can't remember which one of you was made this point a couple of weeks ago that the Olympics mean less now that there are, world championships and, and other things that have as much meaning. And I think it would be, I think the, it would have to become a almost global position, right? It would have to get to the point where there were 14 countries that were participating for it to do any good. If the United States and Great Britain are the only countries that, that pull out, you know, in Australia, it really, I, I feel like I, I want to see it, become a giant thing and i don't think it it will do that but and again we're, we're asking an international sporting organization to do the ethically correct thing and whether it's the ioc or the fia and daryl you you had a request to talk about some auto racing stuff we can do that if, if you guys got anything else to bring up do, do it no, now, go well so we were talking about this championship battle right and I was trying to find a way to describe it. And I finally did over text and it was as if two NFL teams had gone 17 and 0 and met in the Super Bowl and went to one of them was down three touchdowns with two minutes left and came back and tied it. And then they went to three overtimes and the team that came back ended up winning over the team, you know, over the team that it was the Giants beating the Patriots basically. 
at, but even even a bigger underdog from the start of the season. And just the 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 and the thing that I sort of left out was in the last race there was a controversial moment towards the end and the oh yeah the race control in, in the formula one has had had kind of a bad year like it seemed like anytime they had to make a decision basically anytime two cars collide they have to intervene and decide which one was at fault if there's going to be a penalty and there are all sorts of rules about what parts of the track you have to yield to other cars and they're all open to interpretation and all season it seemed like their interpretations favored Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes, who are the Patriots, the seven, he's won seven championships. He's one of the greatest drivers in the history of auto racing and his challengers 24. He was the youngest driver to win a formula one race. He was 18 years old. Um, he's driving for a team that won five championships right before Mercedes took over in 2014 and just started winning everything. So they've been the dominant team for, the better part of a decade now they finally got challenged it seemed like all year they were getting all the calls in this final race they came in tied which hasn't happened happened once previously in 1970 whoever finished higher was going to win whoever finished ahead of the other right and it's the first time this it doesn't happen usually with formula one the point system ends up it ends up being more complicated this if this guy finishes fourth this guy gets to finish better than seventh and then but it was very clear so it was set up everything was set up perfectly they um had an incident on the first lap so the underdog started ahead of hamilton verstappen his name is uh he got passed in the first couple of turns and then i think it was turn five or turn six they almost collided verstappen made a really aggressive move hamilton went off the track which usually results in a penalty the usually you heard this from the announcers any other race they would have made him give that position back so verstappen would have taken over the lead they didn't they basically let them close the gap and then let them start racing again so it seemed again that that mercedes was getting the call and then it didn't seem to matter because he just he was seconds faster the entire race and i think at one point was 12 or 14 seconds ahead, but Mercedes made three terrible strategic decisions throughout the race. And each time the Red Bull, the underdog team took a chance. It was the equivalent of going for it on fourth and 15. They did it three times during the race and they got it every time. And it was again, like one of the most exciting things you'll ever see. And then, so, but again, what happened, <laughs> somebody else crashed with a handful of laps left in the race. And at that point, the race control had two options. They could stop the race, bring everyone in to the pits and let them change tires. Formula one, the tires mean a lot. If you've got there, there are different compounds of tires that you have to run. Some are harder and slower, but they last longer. Some are softer and faster, but they don't last as long. At this point in the race, both times Hamilton had opted not to stop. So he was on old, slow tires. Verstappen was on brand new, soft tires. They could have stopped the race and let them both change. Instead, they brought out what's called a safety car. So you're following behind the pace car. There were 
four cars between the two of them that were a lap behind. So they were not in contention for the win, but they were physically in between the two cars that were contending for the win. But the car behind had the huge advantage because he was on these fresh, soft tires. The rules state that the race control has the option to clear those cars out of the way before they start racing again. In other words, to let them pass the safety, the leader in the safety car and go all the way around to the back of the pack before they start racing again. Usually they do that to all of the lapped cars. So there were five of them in between Hamilton and Verstappen, and then there were another three or four behind Verstappen. Usually they would let them all go, but they were kind of running out of laps because they're behind the safety car going slower, but they're still eating up laps. And now there's three to, you know, getting to two laps left. So they had initially said that they weren't going to clear those cars that were in between. Half a lap later, they said, all right, we changed our mind, let them go. But they only cleared the cars that were in between the two competitors. The uh, ones that were behind, they left They let the race go green before they let those cars through because if they had waited that long, there wouldn't have been any more racing left. They would have been across the line. They would have finished the, the race behind the safety car, which nobody wanted, right? No one wants this fantastic down-to-the-wire competition yeah. to come down to, to end basically, you Under know. caution. Right, exactly. Yeah. And to, to end at, at 75 miles an hour. So the, the FIA did everything they could to make sure the race ended in a competitive manner. And they, and the, 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 you know, the result was that the team that had the better car and the better driver didn't win. But since then, this guy who has been, you know, we talk about athletes who are stand out for social justice. He's been at the front of all of this stuff for, for, a couple of decades now completely disappeared and just turned into, he, he got knighted a few days later and someone referred to him in one of the comments of one of the pieces I wrote as Sir pouts a lot, which I thought was great. Cause he, he has a reputation <laughs> when things aren't going his way. And it's funny cause he grew up as a very kind of blue collar kid. He wasn't a rich kid, but he's now, you know, he makes $50 million a year now. And he has a, a personal trainer who, is there when he steps out of the car to hand him his hair tie. Like that's the, the life he leads now and everything he, he says and does is catered to. So it's funny to watch this team turn into the, the empire, you know, you've watched their whole, their, their team principal, they call him is like the, the manager is uh, this German guy named Toto Wolf who sounds like Arnold Schwarzenegger. And every time <laughs> he speaks, you think it's the Terminator. Like he's like a cross between the Terminator and Ivan Drago when he talks. So it's like, there's this whole good and evil thing happening now. And anyway, the whole thing has been fascinating. And were you, I, um, were you watching live? Oh yeah. Yeah. And I so usually, what were your feelings? Were you like really angry? Were you, it was like your favorite team was getting, taken advantage of no 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 i'm not i'm not for mercedes at all actually and i think i think i've become less so i mean i admire hamilton's greatness i appreciate what he's done i i mean i've, I've written a lot uh, critical of of their their performance and they're 
you know, instead of, and I understand it's, you know, if a quarterback loses in the Super Bowl because of bad coaching, he's not going to turn around at the press conference and say, my coach screwed this up. But <laughs> he also would not attack the officials and the opponents. And it just seems like for someone who occupies the place he does in international sport, he should be handling this better. I mean, he boycotted the, the, they have an awards gala um, the weekend after the season ends and the top three finishers are required to be there. So he's going to get a 10 place starting, starting position penalty in the first race next year because he didn't show up to this award ceremony. That's how big a deal it is to not show up at this thing in formula one. And so he, he's, he's completely gone into hiding. I actually think, you know, and he's threatened to quit a bunch of times before for much shabbier circumstances. He's threatened. I think he's actually going to quit and he's quitting. So remember back when no one had won more than four Super Bowls, that was sort of the ceiling that no one could right. get past. No right. one could get past seven championships in auto racing in Formula One, NASCAR, IndyCar. No one's won more than seven. He he's won seven. It looked like he was going to win five more in a row. And now he got this one sort of snatched out from under him, and now he's going to retire. So there's something to that, too. There's this myth mythical seven championship barrier that no one can get past. Anyway, again, I'm All just right. rambling well, about a fascinating story. Yeah, <laughs> of no interest to either of you guys. So five no. minutes left. What do you got? Uh, I don't know. Uh, Alabama and Georgia playing in the national championship. Let me ask you guys a question. And how, about, how about Ben Roethlisberger? Looking like oh, his career is finally friggin' done. Finally, but several years too late. See you guy. Can I can I use an expression uh, that I love to use in situations like this? Don't let the screen door hit you where the good Lord split you. Yeah, I, I hope you have a terrible retirement, Ben. He's he's a year and a, a few too oh, late. We're gonna remember to bleep that one out. And and uh, yeah, man, you you have troubles. Um, but the the other saying that I always liked was from an old Dan Hicks folk song. How can I miss you when you won't go away? <laughs> <laughs> what do you guys think? So I've been watching some of these bowl games and um, full disclosure, right? I'm, I'm trying to research who I'm going to draft in my dynasty fantasy football oh, keeper geez. league, right? So I'm trying to watch these college players, their last bowl game, who's going to do this. And I think I know where you guys stand on this. What are your thoughts on Kenny Prickett, David Bell, Kenneth Walker? Oh, terrible! Walking out of the last bowl game. Terrible. Oh no, and I'm all for, I'm all for it. I don't see why any college player would want to play in a bowl game. I think bowl games are becoming are obsolete at this point. Okay, I'll agree with that. But and I, th I think none of them should be played this year, including the playoff. I think all you're doing is exposing these kids to to COVID, and I I think. I think we'll see more of it, and I am all for it. What happens if that kid gets hurt in the bowl game? Yeah, well, so I, I actually I'm more on Joe's side than Daryl's side on this, um, because even last night in the Pitt game, right? So Kenny Prickett is the Pittsburgh quarterback. He's going to be in the NFL. He's he's probably a top three quarterback prospect. But he sat out. He sat out the bowl game, and his backup, uh, something Patty, I don't know his his first name. Um, he was, he ran for a touchdown first quarter and, and messed up his shoulder collarbone. So he was out the rig game. I get why I think it's more of a, for the players like a Matt Corral and Ole Miss, the players that do stick it out, 
I think it says more about them than it is a negative for the guys who don't. Because I totally get why they don't. That, that they have terrible judgment. That they would put themselves at risk in their career to make money for a college that's giving them nothing. Fair. What do you mean? They gave or, them a or, education. Or, it's seen as did they, well, did they get an education, Daryl? Have you have you talked to some of these guys? You see what their schedules are like, and what their what their course loads are like, and what they end up taking. Yeah, basket weaving can be very challenging. I know. I, I like I said, I'm I'm more on Joe's side to this because I get why, but, but I I think it does say something, especially nowadays, unless you. A torn ACL, you can still have a career post ACL. So, I, oh my I know, God! Oh my, really? Really? I know it can it hurt. I know it's it's money. I get why they do it, and I I I, I don't fault any player who wants to opt out of a meaningless bowl game. Okay, but and I agree with the meaningless. But, but I I think it says something more. I think it helps somebody's draft status and their stock to play in this game because yeah. it just, it's a mentality. It shows a mentality that I'm if, even if my team is bad, I'm not going to be Jalen Ramsey and, and try to force my way out of a bad team to jump ship. So I, I just think it, 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 it shows me that it shows me it, it, something it, more to players who will stick it through. The main thing is if you look at the names of the bowls this year, you know, it's sort of indicative of how stupid bowl games are. So I, I mean, Joe, your main point of the, uh, that bowl games are, are dumb is I'm totally agreement with that. I could go without the bowl games. I don't mind the, the college playoff. I'd like to see him expand it to eight teams. I think if a player decides to play in a bowl game, the only thing that tells me about that player is that they have poor decision-making skills. That's what that tells me. No, it but, doesn't. But yeah, it, it does. Why? What are they gaining? They're risking uh, their pro career, they're risking. Uh, oh man, there's. No are they though? Are they? I mean, ha has there ever their been their pro career of a year and a half? At, like I said, I I get why they don't, but I don't. They're not risking their pro career. Look at um, who was the running back? If they, would, if they would play all bowl games like they play the Pro Bowl, where they barely make contact and it's like a like a flag oh, football terrible. game. I hate all different, different but listen, story, but we we ranted beautifully today and. Um, you know, another fun sports show with uh, Baker, Big D, and Joe. Happy New Year, everybody. Oh, yeah. Happy New Year. Health and happiness to everybody. Happy New Year.